Copy, Hog Zero One. Night Owl, Hog Zero One. Friendly's in sight, target in sight, in from the south. In from the south, you are cleared on, cleared on. Wolf Hog Element, good guns, good guns. I actually got medically disqualified from joining the military. Um, so I wasn't even allowed to join the military and I got nine I actually um, it was one of those things where you know up you don't meet the requirements and they were just like oh no that's it and when I, a few years going down the down the road I talked to some people I had a supervisor who was who was a previous chief and they talked to me about the waiver process and how you know like hey if they're saying you can't do this you know if you have you know over evidence and doctors those things of that nature showing that XYZ is not actually a, a contributing factor or an issue, it might be a way for you to get in. And Welcome to the Pathway to Wings podcast, a podcast for those looking to become Air Force aviators and hosted by current Air Force aviators. For today's episode, I'll be your host. My name is Major John Waters, call sign Rain. My guest for today's podcast is Major Kenny Thomas otherwise known as KT. He's an Air Force navigator in the C-130, an Air Force reservist. He has quite a journey. I know you're gonna enjoy hearing about it. And so with that being said, let's get into the podcast with Major Kenny Thomas. Well, awesome, excited to have Kenny Thomas, Major Kenny Thomas, an Air Force reservist, much like myself on the podcast today. Kenny, thanks for joining us. Excited to have you on the podcast today. It's good to be here, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And you have a quite an accomplished career. I'm going to let you kind of give everyone just the brief, you know, elevator pitch of who you are and how you got to where you are today and what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm a prior enlisted. I was a maintainer, uh, ROTC grad from University of Texas, San Antonio. Became a navigator on the E8C J Stars, became an instructor down at Pensacola and T1s. And currently, I am a C 130 navigator. Um, at Dobbins uh, Air Reserve Base. And along with that, I'm a president of Legacy Flight Academy, a nonprofit organization uh, dedicated to introducing and representing youth to aviation. Uh, and I'm also a civilian pilot as well, um, flight instructor. So, done a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And we're going to talk about a lot of the things you have done because it's quite an accomplished career in aviation and obviously in the Air Force. So, excited to, to peel back the onion. But let's really, uh, get where it started, your youth, what inspired you? What kind of put you on the path to pursue a career in the Air Force? Well, um, both my parents were in the military. Both of them were in the Air Force uh, when I was younger. Um, so I kind of, I saw the military as an option because I grew up, you know, around the military and uh, in the military. So it was like, okay, that's an option. Um, but when it came to flying, the things that really got me interested in aviation was uh, going to air shows when I was younger, uh, TVs and TV and movie shows, movies that that really talked about aviation stuff. I remember watching on Discovery Channel like weekday wings, like every weekday there'd be a new airplane that they'd be talking about, and you know I really got interested in that. Um, and you know video games that had to do with aviation. So it was just there was a lot of things that that I saw that got me excited, just kept drawing me towards aviation. So did you pursue any kind of aviation, like getting your private pilot's license in high school or college, or is that something that kind of came later in your career? 
to be honest with you, I had no idea that that was a thing you could do. When I, <laughs> I thought that, well, you have to you become adult and then you, you know, you go to the Air Force. And I, I thought that that's what you had to do. Or you went to a particular college and I didn't know how many colleges had aviation programs or anything. And I didn't know anybody who was, um, who was a pilot. So I really didn't know really how to, how to make that happen. I wasn't, I think I was in my mid twenties, the first time I actually flew a plane um, by myself. And that was, I was like, man, I, I wish I would have, I wish I would have done that earlier. Um, but yeah, I, I had no, no access or really knowledge of general aviation uh, as a young person. You know, what's funny is I think it's a recurring theme. And that theme is with me. I grew up in an aviation community surrounded by it, but I didn't fully understand all the requirements and what you needed to be to be a pilot. I thought I had an idea, which was, oh, you need to have a four-year degree in engineering. Like I was kind of clueless. And I always tell young people, it's it's so important to get a mentor and that passion that you're involved in because they've walked the path. You can utilize them as a resource to go out there and find like, hey, do this, don't do this. It's kind of a point out and really kind of polish the knowledge that you have. So it's, it's funny. It is. And, and the thing I will highlight is although I did not know what it took to become a pilot, I had a good idea what it meant to become an officer and become successful in the military, having, you know, my parents in the military being involved in junior ROTC in high school and having some really good mentors, mentors there that, that kind of showed how to succeed in the military. So I, I had one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. yeah no <laughs> Just doubt. had to get the other piece later. <laughs> Which is honestly the most important piece of the puzzle, you know, because it, you're joined to be an officer first and then whatever other duty, whether it be a pilot, navigator, lawyer, doctor. So I'd say it's probably the most complex piece too. So <laughs> do were there any kind of were there any kind of challenges that you faced getting into college or in high school to get you kind of on the path to go into the Air Force? Yes. Um, yeah, I had a few. Um, probably the biggest one when I first got out of high school and I, I joined ROTC, I actually got medically disqualified from joining the military. Um, so I wasn't even allowed to join the military. And I got nine. I actually, um, it was one of those things where, you know, up, you don't meet the requirements. And they were just like, oh, no, that's it. And when I, a few years going down the, down the road, I talked to some people. I had a supervisor who was a, who was a previous chief, and they talked to me about the waiver process and how, you know, like, hey, if they're saying you can't do this, you know, if you have, you know, over evidence and doctors know things of that nature showing that XYZ is not actually a, a contributing factor or an issue, it might be a way for you to get in. And I was actually able to work a waiver. It took me three and a half years to, from when I tried to get in to, to be able to have the opportunity to go. And I was extremely discouraged because I had, I really didn't know what I really wanted to do outside of that. And it took, it was a, I'd say a good long amount of time just trying to do some soul searching and figure out, you know, what am I going to do and what are things that are important to me and, you know, figure out where's my path now. And then the opportunity opened back up and I ended up, I enlisted, became a maintainor, wanted to be still around airplanes. I uh, figured if I get close to planes that'll help me get <laughs> into planes in some way, shape, or form. Um, but that was that was a that was a big challenge because even during that time I still had to maintain I'm still gonna get in and you know made sure that I tried to do well in school, you know, take classes when I could, tr- you know, did my best to stay out of trouble, you know, tried to make sure I still maintain the ability to join the military should the op- door open back up and it did. 
Um, so, so that was, that was a huge challenge in itself. Um, but once I was in, it was a matter of balancing working and taking classes to be able to try to get into some type of commissioning program. And it ended up being a little bit of luck that got me, uh, into ROTC at an early enough age to not have to worry about being over the age limit to fly. Um, the Air Force has happened to be force shaping my career field and they let me get out uh, and go to school. And I ended up going out and getting a ROTC scholarship at uh, University of Texas, San Antonio, Debt 842. And it was interesting because it's, it's kind of full circle now because at the time they started offering full ride scholarships for people going to uh, underserved um, colleges or Hispanic serving institutes and HBCUs. University of Texas in San Antonio is a Hispanic serving institute. So they gave, if you were qualified and you were in the program, you got a scholarship. Kind of like what they're doing now with the HBCUs. Again, um, that's how I got in and I ended up not having to come out of pocket for school. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I would like to say what, what I hear there is a theme of like persistence and dedication and overcoming adversity because the medical thing, I've had a lot of buddies, same scenario, they were told no. And while there are some people say never take no for an answer, I do kind of lend myself to that thinking and don't want to give people false hopes. Like there are some no's, like if you have a bad heart, like it's probably just not going to happen. But what would you say to someone who is facing similar issues? Like what is step one of guiding that process to like overcome some kind of hurdle as significant as like a medical disqualification? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good, good, uh, good question. I think what you want to recognize is that you don't take no, but you can't, you can't not go through, even if it's, even if there's something that seems insurmountable, you still take it on head on and find someone who's either a gone through that process before or can help you through it. Because from whatever level you're at, it's being that you haven't got over that obstacle, you don't really see all the parts of the obstacle and how to mitigate them, how to get around it, because you haven't gone, you haven't got through it or got past it yet. So get a mentor, get someone to help you get through it. And also, as much as I don't want to say don't come up with, a, don't give up hope, you still want to think about alternatives if it doesn't, if it's, if it's unable to happen or whatever um, obstacle you're not able to overcome, find other ways around it or, or realize that there may be a really long time frame in which um, that obstacle is going to take to overcome. Your whole timeline, whatever plan you had in your mind, the goal may be the same, but your timeline could be completely shifted. I, it took me from when I actually put in the waiver, it took about a year and a half to two years for everything to go through for me to actually go from starting the waiver to actually getting in and, you know, raising my right hand and, and going off to boot camp. So I say, um, recognize you have to realistic expectations on your timeline, get a mentor to help you get through the process. Don't do it alone and, and don't let it discourage you. Yep, sage advice for sure. The other aspect of that is you obviously were delayed on your timeline of what you wanted to do, right? But you found another alternative, which was enlisting and then doing that job and focusing on that job really well. So there's so many different paths to get into the Air Force. I was ROTC straight out of high school. There's the Air Force Academy and then officer training school. You have a slightly different route. So what would you what advice would you give to someone who is enlisted or maybe getting a later start into pursuing their career as an Air Force officer? I would say that 
you have all the time in the world. You're not behind. Um, I used to think that oh, I'm so far behind because I started late or because of whatever, whatever thing, you know, I got in later than I wanted to be. I enlisted first and I wanted to get here. Uh, use that, that time that seems like it's like you got behind and recognize that you're gaining experience. Um, you're understanding the process from a different perspective uh, in the route that you take. And the route that you take is the right route. There is no one route to, to get into success in the military. Um, everything that you've done and everything you do adds to your story. And your story is something that will motivate somebody and will give them perspective on their goals as well. So, because, you know, to add a piece of that, my dad, he was enlisted for, I think, 13 years. He was a tech sergeant. And when I was in tech school at Keesler Air Force Base, he was at OTS at Maxwell Air Force Base. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, and I remember I was in tech school and my commander let me miss a day of class to actually go to my dad's commissioning. And I, you know, I gave him his first salute. And, you know, he was, he was late, air quotes, uh, commissioning. But yeah. that, you know, that didn't stop him from getting there. And he was, him being there was a huge motivator for me really actually believing I could make it. So you know, don't, don't look at your delay as, as, as a problem. You know, sometimes yeah. that's a blessing. That's huge. How old was your dad when he went through OTS? Like 30 something. Uh, yeah. 30 yeah. something. <laughs> to the point, like, yeah, you, there's, there's all the time in the world. There are some restrictions like to be a pilot. I think now the cutoff's like 33. Uh, but again, like, I don't, I don't know, like never take no for an answer and like always pursue that passion, be the best at what you're doing and get after it, you know, cause those opportunities might present themselves and you gotta be ready, ready to strike. So transition kind of out of, out of ROTC into the air force. What was that like going from, you know, enlisted ROTC and then stepping into the officer role? I'll say that when I commissioned became an officer, it was, it felt like a big accomplishment, but it was really just the beginning. It was, it was the start. Um, I definitely felt the the weight of of having a responsibility to be an officer, which wasn't a bad thing, but it was, I, I remembered how I looked at officers as an enlisted member. So that kind of drove the way that I tried to lead and tried to represent uh, as an officer. But it it was a it was a big perspective change because I had to change my mentality from being a enlisted airman to being, you know, a commissioned airman. Uh, and it just it made me look at things in a bigger picture in a different way and going to being an operator on an, on an aircraft uh, was a whole different level than what I was doing before. Um, and I felt like I was, I wasn't doing it just for me, but I was doing it for those who looked up to me as well. And I owed it to them to do as good of a job as I could and to, um, you know, to, to, you know, encompass the, the core values, um, you know, the way that we're learned from the beginning of, you know, whatever source we come in. Yeah, absolutely. So your first assignment was in the E-8 as a navigator? Correct. In the, in the EACJ stars. All right. Can you, can you tell me what was that assignment like? What, what was a day in the life of a navigator in the squadron? So day in the life, uh, flying the J stars, we flew long missions. So when it came to like the flying schedule, we would have a day where you're pre-mission planning, we call it pre-mission planning, basically prepping everything up for the day that you're mission planning. And then uh, the day before flying, we had mission planning day. And because we had so many different people in different crew positions on the airplane, it was a big coordination exercise to have everybody have their piece, 
to put together to accomplish whatever the goal was. If we're like, we had to go to a particular area and survey a particular thing and had, you know, certain objectives of whoever we're, we're playing with in, in the exercise of the actual mission, we had to come together and, and it really showed how uh, everybody played their own role in, you know, one common goal. Uh, so you spend that whole day working on your piece. As a navigator, we focused on whatever the route was, defensive uh, systems, defensive strategy, working with Intel to, to understand threats and work with the, the pilots and engineers to work on what the actual, um, the, fly, the actual flying of the aircraft and the navigational plan uh, for the day was. And those days, you know, typical day. And then uh, the flying day, we were, you know, we'd get up early, show up and, and get ready for, you know, a six to eight hour, hour mission where, you know, we have a nice long brief before everybody make sure they, they understand their role, come together and then go out and, and, I, and do whatever, whether it's uh, refueling before we go to the area um, and then execute the mission, come back, debrief, you know, and those, that was, it was a kind of a three day cycle for flying. Yeah. No, that's pretty cool. And then after that, you went to go instruct new navigators coming, right? Yeah. So uh, down at Pensacola, being a, um, an instructor combat systems officer, uh, I'd say it was an extremely rewarding job because we had all the, the brand new lieutenants and some of the crossflow folks coming in and being the first, you know, being their first introduction to aviation in, in the Air Force. Um, you know, we flew, we did sims we did we flew in the t1 you know they were different they learned everything from electronic warfare navigation um you know you know it's support missions there was all sorts of things that we learned at different phases and the best part about that was was watching students go from not knowing anything to earning their wings and in training you could see some of the difficulty um that students had and being able to identify and help them overcome uh, some of the issues they had and some of the the hurdles uh, some of the biggest hurdles I saw for people in undergraduate training were students trying to make it through by themselves, um, which I think was probably the biggest fault is you can't do it by yourself. There's no way that you're going to make it through Air Force flight training alone. Um, you know, a lot of people got discouraged because before they got to flight training, they were number one of number one everywhere they were before that. They were the best of the best. And then they show up and they're average because everybody there is the number one of you know, of every class, the class <laughs> right. president, the, you know, the, the team leader. So they show up there and, and sometimes it gets people a little discouraged, but as they work in teams and, and realize that, hey, this, this is tough for everyone, you know, you're not just gonna show up and just be great at it. So definitely saw that. And that, that was very rewarding watching people develop and grow. You know, similar experience for me because I was the first assignment instructor pilot. So seeing these guys and gals come right off the street or right out of college or ROTC and going to learn how to fly really rewarding to see them from day one to day 180 and the progress they made. But to echo that it's a team effort to get through. And the ones who realized that if they work together and then like shared the secrets and the knowledge that they gained on their sortie with their classmates, they would collectively be better and all perform better than the other classes versus the ones who played, I have a secret, like I always said like the natural ability, like is going to, it's going to sort itself out, but by you helping your classmates and being a good dude, as I would always say, and that's with air quotes, cause it applies to guys and gals, helping those out around you will make you a stronger aviator just, just in general. So it's that for me too, is one of the most rewarding assignments is, is teaching new people how to fly, which you do now too, like in the civilian world, which 
kind of off topic, but you have the Legacy Flight Academy, which also is kind of tied to it, which I think is a good segue here. Can you tell me a little bit about the Legacy Flight Academy and what your role is with that? So uh, Legacy Flight Academy is a nonprofit organization uh, dedicated to introducing underrepresented youth to aviation through um, the history and legacy of the Tuskegee Airmen mentorship and, uh, and flight introduction and flight training. Um, and the program actually came about from several different, um, you know, different members of, of the Air Force, you know, me and two other, other, um, other pilots uh, came together and had different programs we were working and came together as the Legacy Flight Academy we have now. And I actually started my part of it when after I earned my pilot, private pilot license, I recognized that, you know, I didn't learn flying early enough. And <laughs> And I recognized that there wasn't a lot of people in my neighborhood or in the communities that I volunteered with that knew anything about aviation. And so that's where starting out the Brother Horizon and taking kids on intro flights and just exposing them to the world of aviation, you know, became big. And that was one of the driving factors for me continuing past my private license and continue to earn all my ratings. And so you're an Air Force Reservist now, which lends to having, I would say, sometimes a little bit more free time, but allows you to kind of share your knowledge and your wealth and your time with this Legacy Flight Academy, right? Yeah, so as a, as a reservist, I think I, I spend, spend a little bit more time being able to, to do Legacy Flight Academy uh, events and programs. Uh, the good thing I'll say is that even before I got to the reserves, um, you know, my command uh, down at, at Pensacola, they were supportive of, of uh, you know, philanthropy and programs that, that helped out the youth in the area. So that was actually um, really rewarding. And I saw that you know, although, you know, we thought it was good. We also saw that, you know, leadership in the Air Force understood the value of it and was supportive of our endeavors and stuff. So, uh, but now as, as a reservist, I can I spend time, more time doing that. I also spend uh, more time flight instructing, um, you know, outside of the military as well. So. No, it's really cool. And I, I know if people want more information about Legacy Flight Academy, where, where should they go look for it? Yeah, so uh, LegacyFlightAcademy.org. Or you can go to our Facebook page. We're on Instagram and underscore Legacy Flight Academy. Um, yeah, we're on social media and on the web. So you, you can Google this as well. Uh, great program. And that's pretty awesome that you guys are able to bring all that together. But tying that to you know the Air Force Reserves, again, slightly different tempo and lifestyle can be compared to active duty. What's your role in the Air Force Reserve right now? So um, I'm a navigator in C-130s, and I'm also the uh, diversity and inclusion project manager uh, in the reserves. And I've been in reserves for about two years now. Um, and it's still, still learning how to be in the reserves, but I, I actually am enjoying <laughs> being in the reserves because it's a different level of flexibility that you have uh, being a reservist. Yeah, absolutely. So looking back on your career, looking back at uh, 15 year old KT, is there any advice you would give a younger you? Yes, go fly airplanes now. <laughs> I took a 15 year old me to the airport and said, go get in this plane and, and get a discovery flight, go fly. Um, that, that's, that would be what I would have done. Find you a mentor in the, in the area that, that you want to pursue and if you don't know someone in that area, ask people, tell people about what you want to do consistently, because if you say it enough times, people will hear you and eventually someone's going to say, hey, I know someone who does that. Let me introduce you to them. Uh, that's what I would tell myself. Scream it from, scream it from the top. Nope. I love it. 
again, I always say, go get a mentor, go find someone who's walked the path because there are people out there that want to help. Obviously bring to the table, figure out what you need to know, and then use that person to kind of help massage and fill in the gray area there. So you capitalize on their time. <laughs> yes. Well, KT, as we wrap up, um, is there anything you'd like to say to the listeners? Just kind of one final shot across the bow. Um, follow your dreams and not just follow them, just walk in the direction of them. Even if you have no idea how to get there, keep walking in that direction. Um, and you'll, you'll eventually find your way or someone will help you get there, but walk in that direction. Don't stop. No, I love it. KT. Perfect note to end on. Thank you for your time. I know people are really going to enjoy, you know, hearing your story and the advice you have to share out there. So thanks again. All right. No problem at all. Thank you.